Welcome in to another episode of the On the Clock podcast, our second special episode here on Draft Weekend. Round 7 just wrapped uh, about an hour ago. Our draft grades are up now on SI.com. You can check those out. I was told Friday that I was too nice with the grade, so uh, hopefully everyone's satisfied to an okay degree there. Uh, few in the C range, a lot of A's and B's. Unless a team really absolutely totally botches a draft, I have a hard time going lower than that because I think there's always at least a couple guys of value you can get in there. So, uh, But those are up. Check those out. You can get me, Chris Burke, on Twitter at Chris Burke underscore SI. The On The Clock podcast is at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at SI.com slash podcast. You can go back and check out some of the interviews we've done with, with players who now might be on your favorite team. Uh, I tweeted out one uh, from our time uh, at Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Uh, we had Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones on the same episode, and now they are teamed together in the backfield in Green Bay. So uh, that episode up, a lot of other ones. Go back and check those out. Uh, welcome in here, Eric Single, at Eric underscore Single again. And uh, are you surviving? <laughs> how much? I, I'm running on fumes here. I don't know how you're feeling. I, I was running on fumes, and then Chad Kelly being Mr. Irrelevant has <laughs> given me new life. So I'm ready to go two hours with this uh, with this show. You ready for the Chad Kelly, the Mr. Irrelevant parade and the trip and everything? He gets the whole, uh, the whole shebang now. Yeah, if there's one draft pick that needs a festival or a party... In his honor, yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's not Chad Kelly. Well, let's start there. I mean, it's pick two fifty three. I don't think it means a whole lot to the two thousand seventeen season, but it, it was an interesting way, certainly, to end the draft. So, was this John Elway taking a guy who has some upside when his quarterback situation is unsettled? Was this John Elway doing Jim Kelly a favor? I mean, what what happened here? Knowing the NFL, I would not discount the 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 old boys club. Elway doing Jim Kelly a favor thing. But one thing to keep in mind is one of the quarterbacks that's going to keep Chad Kelly buried is Trevor Simeon, who the Broncos picked up as a, he was a seventh round pick, right? But similar, similar circumstances where he was injured and couldn't really show anything to NFL teams in the evaluation process. And so he was not anywhere close to a a factor in the draft conversation the year he came out. Uh, and Chad Kelly, given his profile, is a, was a little bit of a different case. Uh, he made headlines a couple of different ways in the lead up to the draft. So where he went was going to be a, a subject of interest no matter what it was, even if he hadn't been picked with that last pick. But, I mean, Simeon is now this like example of what can happen if you pick up a quarterback without using a lot to get him, and he heals up, and then he's got a year or two to be completely off the radar from a playing perspective and uh, and, and then see see what you have after that. So I, I think it's a combination, but it is, I can't believe we're talking about like scheme fit at, and, te- <laughs> and team fit with Mr. Irrelevant, but if there's a team to show the way to a quarterback picked absolute last in the draft, it's probably the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, I guess from that perspective, you want to be drafted and I'm sure you'd prefer to hear your name called, but you know, I also kind of wonder, like at that point, and maybe even more so for a quarterback, if better off just not being drafted and going and picking a team that you, you know, where maybe there is a, a clearer path to the depth chart, or uh, I don't know. I mean, I I don't want to spend too much time on Chad Kelly because I think there's a lot more to get into. But like I said, kind of an interesting way to to wrap the draft. There were ten quarterbacks picked in all. We talked about the first three off the board. 
uh, our round one recap show, which you can go back and check out. Trubisky at two, Patrick Mahomes at 10, and then Deshaun Watson at 12. We talked about those guys in, in depth after round one, so don't necessarily need to rehash that, at least right now, until we get into maybe our favorite, least favorite classes here in a few minutes. But Deshaun Kaiser then at 52, we saw Davis Webb go 87, and then a bunch of guys. Uh, C.J. Beathard was the last guy on day two, the 49ers trading up to get C.J. Beathard for I, some reason. I don't really know what happened there, to be honest. I don't think that was a necessary trade up. I feel like he would have been there in, in round four or five. But uh, So Kaiser, Davis Webb, Beathard on day two, and then Kelly at the end of day three is an earlier Nathan Peterman, Brad Kaya, Josh Dobbs to give it 10 Quarterback drafted Gerard Evans, uh, not drafted Cooper Rush, Alec Torgerson. So some guys who had some talent didn't get in to the draft. Of the picks that happened on day two and three, I mean, Kaiser's sort of an easy one, I think, to to pick out as a favorite because Cleveland just sat there after passing on QB through the whole first round and still got a guy who maybe wins their starting job. Was any of the other ones? Well, I guess, A, did you like that pick? If you didn't like it, please let me know. And then, B... Were there any other quarterback picks that you thought were good landing spots? No, I, I like the Kaiser pick for the Browns. I mean, especially where they got him. That ended up working out really well for them, using as many picks as they did elsewhere and then coming back and realizing that the rest of the, the NFL was pretty cool on the quarterback class as well. I, I really think that all of them, except for Beathard, are interesting uh, picks. The one that I really love is probably due to how I feel about the player, too, is Nathan Peterman going to the Bills. That, that seems like that could be an immediate help to them whenever they, whenever they decide what their future is with, with Tyrod Taylor. Either he, I feel like he could be a pretty serviceable, serviceable backup right now, um, which is certainly what he's going to start out as, but if uh, the team moves a different direction from Taylor down the road, I think that's a pretty useful guy to have waiting in the wings. Uh, the other one that I really liked... Uh, begrudgingly because of where I went to school, but uh, Joshua Dobbs going to the Steelers <laughs> it feels like a really great fit just for a guy that aced all of the makeup tests uh, that Dobbs did in the pre-draft process to go to a place with such a institutionalized set of values and super stable structure. I feel like there's going to be nothing holding him back from thriving and getting to whatever his potential is, however you feel about him as a player, he's going to be able to land on the high end of that because I, I can't foresee any sort of like external forces uh, limiting his ceiling in any way. So I, I like that one too. Yeah, I think the Dobbs one's a good spot for him for the reasons you mentioned and also because I don't think Landry Jones is, I mean, I, I think at this point they've given up on the idea of him ever being uh, sort of a long-term franchise guy once Roethlisberger's done. I mean, maybe there's a little tiny bit of hope that that happens, but I think for the most part, they're ready to move on. And so uh, Dobbs maybe gets a chance. I, I mean, I assume he's the number three guy this year, but maybe develops into that role further down the line. Uh, Davis Webb is interesting. I mean, I'm glad he didn't go round one because I don't think he was a round one talent. I think he made a lot more sense where he went, pick 87, and he goes to a team where he can compete to be the backup, and he's behind a guy who never misses games. So I think that that's a good spot for him. I don't, I mean, you knock on wood with with Eli, but you know it's not a spot where you're. It's different than Pittsburgh, where we've seen Roethlisberger miss a handful of games the last few years. You know, sure. you, you're assuming you won't need Davis Webb to play 
in New York. So uh, I think he let him sit and develop and check back in a couple years and see what you've got. So probably a good spot for him. Yeah, I mean, I think Peterman, like you said, was good. Kaiser, no, I mean, guys, I guess we've mentioned pretty much everyone. Brad Kai is the only one I think we haven't touched on at all. Went to Detroit, who just a few months ago decided – Jake Rudock was going to get a shot to be the backup, and now he at least has some competition. But again, even though Matthew Stafford's headed into the last year of his contract, that starting job's not open uh, or headed into the tail end of his contract. They'll get him an extension there, and you know. I, but that's that's an interesting one because of that offense, some of the West Coast quick trigger principles that they've incorporated with the guys they have there. Maybe it is a decent fit for Brad Kaya. So, ten quarterbacks, like I said, in all. Thought we might have a few more earlier in the the first couple rounds, but ended up with six before day two was over. So a pretty strong number there. Uh, seven in uh, the first three rounds is the still the record. Thought they might break it this year, but uh, that record of seven will stand. So maybe a couple of these guys starting this year. Like I said, we talked a lot about round one in our earlier show. We didn't get into rounds two and three much at all. And I guess right at the top of round two, you know, especially we saw a lot of guys that we thought would be round one picks. But the names for me that really jump out there are uh, Cam Robinson, Malik McDowell to some extent, Forrest Lamp, Dalvin Cook. Uh, and then I think Sidney Jones and Joe Mixon because of their respective situations. And those are all guys that were in the top 50 Anything that happened at the start of round two there that really caught your eye? One guy you didn't mention just then was the Panthers going right back after taking Christian McCaffrey and taking Curtis Samuel, who we had talked about how they are uh, similarly versatile weapons. Uh, Samuel out of Ohio State did a sort of similar thing that McCaffrey did at Stanford, only not quite to the scale. But that that was fascinating to me. I mean, now the Panthers can do whatever they want on offense in some respects, but you don't always you don't often see teams go skill position skill position unless they really really need it and then the panthers sort of duplicated themselves uh at a position that doesn't really exist it's sort of a a hybrid thing that you you trust the offense to to form itself around so i i'll be fascinated to see how those two guys uh fit in i didn't love that pick and i think maybe i'm just not using my imagination enough maybe curtis samuel is the Ted Ginn replacement and Christian McCaffrey's just a running back that occasionally goes out and catches passes. And in that regard, you have two really versatile guys who can open up a defense. But I think they are very similar. I think Curtis Samuel were sort of, I mean, he, he can get open, certainly, and he's great with the ball in his hands. I think we're sort of taking a leap to assume that he's going to be a super productive slot receiver. You know, I think he's got to get better. Yeah. As a pure receiver uh, for simple things, you know, just the route running in his hands. I mean, just sort of baseline things. I think he's got some work to do before he is, you know, a guy that you're starting and throwing the ball to 100 times a year. So it was it was interesting in that regard and also interesting because of where I think their needs were elsewhere. I, I really liked and kind of trending into favorite, least favorite classes here. I really like the Taylor Moten pick for them. I think he should get a shot to start at a right tackle out of the gate. I think that was a good pick. But, you know, they waited till round three and got Deshaun Hall, who's – I think that could be a hit or miss pick at defensive end. You know, they didn't get a cornerback until round five, Corn Elder. So, you know, they had some other needs that I don't necessarily think they got to until later in the draft. And I assume there's a plan for Samuel, and I'm sure that they'll get him involved in the offense. But I think he really has to be – a pretty consistent weapon for them for that pick to pay off given what they have now in McCaffrey. 
Yeah, definitely. I, maybe I misspoke. I, I don't love it. I'm just fascinated by it. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, I didn't. I got actually, it. I wasn't of, okay, solid. criticizing you. <laughs> just want to make sure. It's been a, it's been a long just... day. Uh, but also, if they're, <laughs> we, we talked about like the best fits for McCaffrey as far as teams that are creative. And I, I guess the Panthers are sort of creative with, with their running game. That's been documented before, but I, I don't know. I'd maybe trust a few other teams to get the most out of one or two of those type of people than than the Panthers because they're even with the weapons that they've had on the field in the past couple of years it hasn't always all been clicking at the same time other than 2015 so interesting to watch do you like the the Malik McDowell fit in Seattle the Seahawks traded down they went 26 to 31 31 to 34 and then 34 to 35 is that right I think that's right they traded down several times and then took Malik McDowell there uh, which a round one talent is you know, same we talking points we we had all along with Malik McDowell round one talent but you know kind of worry about between the ears so did you approve of that pick definitely I put a lot of trust in the Seahawks as far as taking in guys that have questions about what's going on between the ears and especially I think the opportunity to be a part of that defense and be a contributor early on seems to bring out the best in guys and sort of motivate them so if if it's not going well I feel like we'll hear about it very early on but like I definitely thought McDowell was of these fringe guys that he was one of the sure things to end up in round one one way or another but the fact that he was there for the Seahawks when the Seahawks decided to stop dropping and uh, and get him which is an interesting process in general I feel like that obviously happens every year but this year, especially, we had uh, a good handful of teams trading back and then trading back from where they traded back and trading back again. So, And then the pick that they make at the end, you wonder how it really enforces how little command of the board that outsiders have. So how much feel they exactly have for when a guy like McDowell is going to start beyond the radars of other teams. But um, I think I think that's a, a worthy pick if they're not going to spend it on that offensive line need that we talk about so often with Seattle. Yeah, we heard, I knew this was going to happen because it happens every year. You hear that there's no, everyone wants to trade back, no one wants to trade up. And then look at, I mean, I think there were a record or close to a record for number of trades in this draft. And it was just sort of nonstop right from number two through round seven i mean there were trades in round seven too so there were there's always teams willing to trade up if the board falls the right way and i think we saw that again and one of those teams that traded up and i mentioned this guy is one of the interesting top 50 picks dalvin cook at 41 the vikings went up and got him there and i assume he will be at least in a timeshare there with latavius murray probably the number one guy if he can go in and win the job but worst case scenario splitting carries with murray the Jarek McKinnon dream, I think, has died in Minnesota at this point, but maybe not. <laughs> That's a shame. Uh, yeah. But then, so they went up and got that pick from Cincinnati at 41. Cincinnati fell down to 48, and Cincinnati took Joe Mixon at 48. So uh, an interesting link there between those two players and those two teams. Let's go with Cook first, the fit, and the Vikings' decision to go up and get him. Uh, approve in both cases or have a problem with it? Definitely approve. And just parroting what others have reported about why Cook slid, it seems like there's no better place for him to end up than in Minnesota. Because if he can't, quote unquote, bring his crew with him, he's on the opposite end of the United States from Florida up in Minnesota. And 
he'll be playing under a strict head coach in Mike Zimmer that does not tolerate very much. Um, so I, I think that's that should be the perfect recipe. And the fact that the Vikings wanted to take a chance on him anyway shows that they it's not going to be a, a one strike and you're out policy. Like they want to work with him to make him their next franchise running back. And I think the the football hole is perfect there. And and I think the the match as far as team culture and and what that player particularly needs is pretty nice too so i was pretty pleased with how that that fit ended up for cook who again i think is still the best running back in the draft and we'll see if that ends up translating but his fall was pretty fascinating to watch yeah my only concern with him landing there is just what that offense will look like with bradford at quarterback and the offensive line still kind of in flux i mean they did bring in uh reef i think the pat elfline pick for them was maybe as good as the dalvin cook pick to be honest i think he's a 10-year starter at guard or center so that helps i i don't know that in terms of the offense and wanting to land in an explosive offense i don't know that he necessarily did that but yeah I, i like the move to go get him i'm curious to see how mixon works in cincinnati and i think that from a football standpoint, we knew Mixon was a possibility in Cincinnati because Jeremy Hills kind of hit the wall uh, and his contract's expiring soon. So he looked like a guy Cincinnati can move on from. He certainly hasn't been as good the last year or two, near, not nearly as effective in that between the tackles role. So they were looking for a running back, I think, and a bigger running back. Culture-wise, they looked like a fit too because Cincinnati has never really hesitated to take guys with kind of questionable off-field stuff, but they also haven't always been great at kind of reeling those guys in and and keeping them so it stays, you know, between the lines. And I think that's got to be a little bit – I mean, Marvin Lewis is there. It's a a coaching staff that is uh, experienced, but I think that's got to be a concern for Mixon if if there is one, is that you just wonder if Cincinnati has the right sort of locker room feel in place to make sure that Mixon stays on the straight and narrow. Yeah, these character issue guys show up in Cincinnati and then they, in many cases, sort of stay the way they were. It's just a a home for them to be. Um, And one other thing that I just thought about was what happens if the Bengals go five and 11 or something and and miss the playoffs or or have a have another disappointing season and then Marvin Marvin Lewis leaves and what sort of coaching transition would mean for that cult that culture that has been built up over his super long tenure in Cincinnati and I, I don't I don't know I got I've the same the same doubts as you yeah about exactly how much sense it makes i mean other than it was predictable that he would end up there but the odds that it goes 100 percent well i I don't don't feel great about how good the Bengals are for him that Bengals offense and maybe this is a good spot to jump into sort of favorite least favorite classes that Bengals offense could look a lot different next year uh with john ross Mixon, Josh Malone's a guy that can stretch the field. So they might be thinking that they're going to be a little more wide open than we've seen the Bengals be in recent seasons. That'll be interesting to keep an eye on. I mentioned our draft grades are up uh, at uh, SI.com, so you can at least see who my favorite and least favorite teams were in this draft. You want to go with the positives or the negatives here first, Eric? Uh, I only have the positives in my head right now, so let's, <laughs> All let's right, start so there. All right, so give me a couple teams that you like the work they did this weekend. Okay, I'm going back to the Bills. I really liked their class beyond Peterman. They ended up with a lot of choices at what would have been 10, and then they traded with the Chiefs and went back to number 27, where they took my guy, Tredavious White. Um, and then they came back in the second round and moved 
up and got one of draft Twitter's favorite wide receivers of the class, Zay Jones from East Carolina, uh, the NCAA all-time leader in receiving yards. Then there's the Peterman pick. Their last pick of the of the draft was a late addition to your draft crushes column, uh, Tanner Vallejo uh, from, <laughs> yeah. from Boise State, a linebacker. And they also got the guy that Tanner Vallejo bumped out of your draft <laughs> crushes column, Matt Milano from Boston College. Right. You know, the Boston College linebacker tradition. So there's a there's an ostensible fit for the Stefan Gilmore hole and the trade back netted them picks to to make up a little more ground than uh than they had going into the draft so i I was pretty was pretty high on that and like zay jones should step in as number two or number three right away and and be a pretty good compliment to a healthy Sammy Watkins. So I like that that first two pick combo and then the whole draft as a whole for Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Zay Jones is an interesting player. I don't know. I like him. I don't know that I ever got to the point that some other people were with him, just how much they loved him. I mean, to me, I think he's... They really loved him. I think he's a good replacement for Robert Woods. And I, I liked Robert Woods a ton coming out of college. And I just it just never really clicked for Robert Woods, but I see sort of similarities between those games and and what that role will be, uh, which isn't meant as a knock on Zay Jones. I mean, if he reaches the upside, Robert Woods never quite got to. That would be a, a pretty good spot for him. Uh, and yeah, White to move down. I think anytime you can move down, pick up you know uh, an extra first rounder the next year and still get a really good player like that. I mean, the the only thing for me with moving down was they could have gotten a line they could have gotten any of the linebackers there you know reddick went not long after obviously reuben foster fell they had two chances at reuben foster uh oj howard was available for them there and marshawn Lattimore was there and they obviously needed a cornerback and ended up taking a cornerback so that's the only thing is sort of tracking how tradavius white plays maybe in comparison to other guys they could have gotten but yeah, you got to remember they still have the the first rounder next year too. So I think that's a a big boost, and uh, I think Milano will be good for them. I think Deion Dawkins can maybe start for them. So yeah, a good class there. Um, I will throw one out. I thought Baltimore had a great draft. Yeah, the first. No, I mean I, pretty much all the way through. The only the only complaint I have is they didn't get a wide receiver, and I think that that was a spot either a wide receiver or tight end. I thought they really needed to find one more pass catcher. Maybe they go make a move here uh, in the next few months, but they didn't really get that. I, I didn't have Marlon Humphrey as high as some other people. That wasn't my, uh, that wouldn't have been my pick at 14 at 16 if I was taking a cornerback, but you, you know, you obviously see the, the upside in that pick. And then I think day two for them was about as good as anyone had Tyus Bowser at 47, Chris Wormley at 74, who I had ranked in the top 40 and Tim Williams, who I had ranked in the top 25, and Bowser and Williams, you know, they still have Terrell Suggs outside, but Bowser Williams could be their pass rushers for their foreseeable future, both as, sort of as compliments to Terrell Suggs and then replacing Terrell Suggs. I think Wormley drops right in up front for them in that 3-4. Nico Saragusa was a good pick in round four. You know, they needed some uh, bodies up front. I think he's someone who can help that run game. Um, they got draft season uh, podcast. I don't know what, what we call him, topic <laughs> Featured guest Jermaine Illuminor of Texas A&M. Uh, I I love that draft for Baltimore. Like I said, the only thing for me is I I thought they would go wide receiver somewhere. It didn't really. It, it sort of fell out of their control unless they wanted to go Howard in round one because the receivers went so early. But I thought somewhere along the line they'd get help for that offense. Yeah. Uh, can I give another one? 
Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to do another shout-out to Team Fun. I liked what the Chargers did beyond Mike Williams in the uh, in the first round. Uh, they stopped Forrest Lamps slide in the second round, and then they got another lineman that people were pretty high on in Dan Feeney um, in early in the third when some people thought maybe that was a guy that went round two. But those are two not, not super flashy, but as far as this draft's O-linemen go, that – those were two of the guys that people were speaking the most consistently, positively about. So that's that's great. Philip Rivers' protection try to bring some stability to that O line, um, and then they also snapped up Desmond King, who fell into the fifth round. You're you're the biggest Desmond King fan I know, but that <laughs> that should yeah. Uh, he he can definitely he can definitely step in and contribute. And then even th- this is just my personal thing, but I've liked Isaac Rochelle. Uh, since the beginning of last year, the defensive tackle from Notre Dame that LA took uh, with the 225th pick early in the seventh round, um, and I know they're pretty much set on the on the D line. But uh, with Gus Bradley coming in, uh, you'd like to have as many as many buys as possible. And he's not he's not the flashy guy that that Bosa or anything is, but I, I think he might be able to to make a mark if he if he sticks. So. There was sort of a top-to-bottom class full of guys that I generally like uh, a good bit. So uh, another consistent performance from Team Fun there. Uh, I will throw out a couple AFC South teams quickly. I thought Indianapolis had a really good draft, and some of that was luck because Malik Hooker fell to them at 15. But uh, they also got Quincy Wilson. They got Terrell Basham, who I think gives them a playmaker where they needed one at that outside linebacker role. The Zach Banner pick to me is, you know, whatever. Maybe he helps. I don't know that they can count on him. But Marlon Mack I thought was a good find too. And Anthony Walker in round five, you know, that was someone we were talking about much higher than that at the start of the year and didn't necessarily have a great season, kind of fell under the radar. But I think he's someone who can be a good player for them. So a really good draft, I thought, for them. And, um, you know, Houston, we talked about Watson. I, I have made no secret that I think Watson's the number one quarterback in this class. I think it's a phenomenal move for Houston to go up and get him because I expect him to be the starter before long even if they go into camp with Tom Savage there Uh, and then they got Zach Cunningham at 57 which I think is a steal they got Dante Foreman at 89 who I like that tandem of Lamar Miller Dante Foreman Julian Davenport's a guy maybe you can develop into a long-term tackle a couple years from now so I thought those two AFC South teams came out really well I wanted to ask you about Another AFC South team, though, the Titans, because I thought they had one of the more fascinating drafts of any team. And we talked a lot about what they did in round one, Corey Davis or Dore Jackson. Then they drafted Tywan Taylor, another wide receiver round three. They got Jonu Smith, who's sort of a move tight end, very Delaney Walker-esque at pick 100. And then rounded out with some other guys. Jayon Brown, I think, can be a nice player for them. But mainly focused on those first four picks, which were Davis, Jackson, Taylor, Smith, Obviously, they thought it was important to get some weapons for Marcus Mariota in the passing game. Did they do this the right way? Did they go, was this overkill? I mean, do you think they, this is a really good class for the Titans? When the Titans cut Jason McCourty, this is not the the replacement that people envisioned they would go get in the draft. I don't think Adore Jackson is going to be mistaken for McCourty anytime soon. Um, so that was a bit of a head scratcher that they didn't dip back into the cornerback class for the rest of the draft after after pick 18 um i guess i'm 
pretty much an unabashed fan of of the three offensive picks they they went with there. Um, we talked about Taylor on this podcast before. He was part of our request line mailbag, but he and Davis should change that passing game entirely. Um, and we saw how good Marcus Mariota was getting at the end of last year before the injury. And I think that his expectations will justifiably be ridiculously high uh, going into the fall, given the weapons. And and I like Smith. Um, when you already have Delaney Walker, it doesn't quite make sense to have another That's one. That's the one for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and I, it's good I to assume get, it's not, it's good not going to be like Cleveland drafted Njoku and then got rid of Gary Barnage. Like, I, I'm right. Walker's not going anywhere. Maybe the Titans will pick up Gary Barnage and have a tight end. <laughs> there you go. Now there. you're thinking That's like a GM. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was the one for me where I thought, you know, they were at pick 100. They could have gone somewhere else. And I think Taylor makes uh, sense because he's someone that, you know, he's he's sort of a big play guy where you just get him in space or you have him stretch the field. And so your top three there now is probably Davis, Rashard Matthews, and potentially Taylor still have Tajay Sharp and you know Harry Douglas is there but I, I think ideally it'd be Taylor Davis Matthews and that really is an intriguing receiver core so that, I didn't mind that pick I mean I, I didn't love the Adore Jackson pick you know I don't think he was a top 20 prospect in this class but you know the the physical profile the the natural gifts there kind of set him apart for sure but yeah it was the Johnny Smith one for me just just it would felt kind of redundant uh, Brendan Langley, cornerback, went the very next pick. You know, there were some other linebacker, defensive backs in that range that that didn't stay on the board too much longer after that. You know, Vince Beagle went at the top of round four, and so I, that was the one for me. That I mean, I don't think it was a a disastrous pick by any means, but that was the one that kind of was a head scratcher. On the flip side, you know, teams that I didn't think drafted all that well. I don't really know what the Jets are doing. Uh, I mean, I loved how it started. Jamal Adams at six, great. Marcus May at thirty-nine, uh, okay. I mean, I think sure. you know Calvin Pryor's probably out there. Marcus Gilchrist was coming back from injury, so you're rebuilding that defense. You know, you've got the defensive line, obviously. Now you've got the safety spots. All right, we'll worry about the rest of it, I guess, moving forward. But. Darius Stewart, Chad Hansen, Jordan Leggett were their next three. They didn't draft a cornerback until Jeremy Clark uh, at 197, who was really good for Michigan and then got hurt. So maybe he outplays that spot when he's healthy. Uh, they're after a cornerback 197, 204. I think there's still a mess at cornerback. I, they obviously, you know, quarterback's a problem for them. It's really a, a bad roster, and I don't. Uh, I just don't – I'm really confused about what happened. Stuart Hansen. I mean, I guess Leggett, you needed a tight end probably in there at some point, but I just I feel like they kind of lost the plot there. I have a grave concerns for Todd Bowles' job security headed into this season. You saw that uh, Mike McCagnan announced that Devin Smith had torn his ACL? Yeah. Yeah, that was the big news item out of the Jets' post-draft press conference, almost like it's an excuse for doing what they did, like Devin Smith was the – was was the crux of their passing offense last year and they absolutely needed to to replace him at all costs like they 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 have other receivers and and I don't think that's that explains maybe like half of the two receiver picks that they that they made there I I mean like 
I do I do like Stewart and Hansen, um, and the Jets are so bad. I mean, all around that I'm in favor of them getting getting good or deep somewhere. The fact that they picked wide receiver is not super great, but <laughs> and safety. I mean, safety. I safety. think they're in good shape now. Yeah, they're they're now okay at safety. Adams was a great pick. We can we can everyone can agree on that. And the fact that they seem good going in with uh, with Josh McCown. Uh, there were some pretty, as you as you highlighted on Twitter, I think there were there was a pretty hilarious report on some some point on day three about how much they liked uh, Josh McCown and how how excited they were to have him in the building. Yeah, I don't think that he, is a very sunny outlook for 2017. <laughs> yeah, I mean Ian Rappaport and NFL Network reported that I, th- I forget the exact figures, but it was four or five million, something significant enough for a player of Josh McCown's caliber. Their offer was that much higher than the next closest team, which I think he said was Dallas. You know, my attention was drawn several different spots at that point. But, yeah, he, he made it very clear that the Jets were determined to get Josh McCown in there. Uh, I had questions about the Rams draft class for pretty much the same reason. Uh, yeah. They didn't get Jamal Adams or Marcus May caliber. I mean, they got John Johnson, who I think is a solid safety, fine safety in round three. It took some guys later on that maybe Wade Phillips can get some use out of there, but they started with Gerald Everett, who's you know uh, another kind of move tight end, pass catching tight end at 44. Then took Cooper, Cooper Cup, took Josh Reynolds at 117, who maybe is the best of that group. But again, you know, I don't really see the forest for the, for the trees there. I'm having a hard time figuring out exactly what the game plan is, other than just to give. Jared Goff as many weapons as possible, but they used picks last year on Mike Thomas, the sixth round, Farrell Cooper in the fourth. They just signed Robert Woods. Tavon Austin's still there. I mean, and they used a fourth rounder last year on Tyler Higby at tight end and a sixth rounder on Tamaric Hemingway. So uh, what is happening with this roster? Yeah, I like I like this draft even less than the Jets draft, actually. I Like a whole, a whole rung or a letter grade below. I don't get it. Josh Reynolds saved it for me. That's really yeah. what it came down to. This was like an F class for me, and Josh Reynolds bumped it back up. Yeah, and I, I like I watched a little Tanzel Smart uh, yeah. earlier, and our own Joe Neeson, who was plugged into the Tulane community, was was pumping him up earlier on. So look out for him. But that's uh, that's Juan me. Price. That, that's me at, in the seventh. But that's yeah, right. I mean, uh, but he's uh, not even yeah. going to get to wear the the short pants in the NFL. So what was even the point <laughs> of taking him? <laughs> I, that was a class that I really just, I, man, I, I don't get it. I really don't. Um, I, we'll wrap here with, I wanted to ask about uh, Arizona because we talked about them a long time as maybe being a quarterback team. We saw Houston jump them. We saw Kansas City jump them for quarterbacks. They sat at 13. They took Hassan Reddick. They took Buda Baker. Uh, in our grades, I describe that as very on-brand drafting. You've got two more versatile guys. They already have Buchanan, Matthew. They've shown they can be creative with these players. They're incredibly athletic defensively when you consider all the, I mean, all those guys I mentioned and Chandler Jones. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous the the talent level, the athleticism level that uh, Arizona has. Chad Williams, I thought was a bit of a reach at wide receiver round three. Dorian Johnson, guard round four. They took your guy from Vandy, Will Holden. Uh, offensive tackle round five, TJ Logan running back round five, and then Rudy Ford, who, you know, another guy you maybe move around, high athletic upside. 
safety cornerback type in round six. They didn't take any clear, I mean, maybe Ford competes there, but they didn't take any clear starters, guys that can compete at cornerback. And they didn't take a quarterback. So now you assume that next draft, that again becomes a priority. But was this a, did you like what they did or do you think they needed to focus elsewhere? I'm sort of on your team on on the Chad Williams pick, uh, but I do like what they got when they got it, uh, getting Reddick and Baker, regardless of how much of my guy Will Holden is. Uh, <laughs> I, I think he's pretty limited from an, from the NFL perspective. I think he's your, your guy by school association right. only. I don't think by default. I've heard I, you talk that positively I, about him, to be honest. I have uh, inadvertently taken ownership of all of Andy players of all time and just echoing the love for the Texans. But I think it's fine for teams with entrenched franchise quarterbacks to not always have the perfect replacement lined up. Like the like I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been mad at the Steelers for not for not taking a quarterback. I mean I think. The Palmer thing is a more pressing issue for Arizona than it is, than Big Ben is for Pittsburgh. But teams like that, there's a level of writing it off and, and addressing some other need to get as many as much support to that quarterback whose time might be winding down as possible. I mean, the Chargers didn't take a quarterback, and that was one of the teams that we hypothetically talked about potentially getting one. And who knows exactly what Rivers' status is compared to compared to Palmer's so it's not the end of the world to not always have this young up-and-comer waiting there even though the Patriots have shown how terrifying it can be when you do have that I think that's just a personal thing that I'm sort of fine with them not going quarterback yeah I I like it too I mean I I like Reddick a lot I love Buda Baker yeah Williams like I said uh, is an okay pick I don't know that that's like he doesn't strike me as necessarily like a replacement for Michael Floyd or Larry Fitzgerald down the road or anything, but maybe he develops into something. Um, so it was a it was a decent draft class for them. I don't think it was a great draft class, but those two guys right up top, Reddick Baker, are, are game changers. And like I said, that defense now is sort of matchup proof, except at cornerback. Really, <laughs> I mean that's still the headache for them, which is why I think cornerback maybe would have been more of a focus than even quarterback. I think they still might have taken a quarterback had Mahomes especially fallen. To 13 uh, but they had a chance at Kaiser later and and went with Baker instead so just wanted to briefly discuss them because I thought they were interesting as a quarterback team so I guess we'll wrap it up there like I said the grades are up on the site a lot tons more content too surrounding the draft uh, if you missed anything if you want to go back and check out anything that happened and we'll continue to try and spin everything forward from here uh, into what it means for next season and thanks to everyone who has listened this thus far for on the clock all season from September until now. Uh, thanks to Eric for producing everything and helping me out as the co-host here. Uh, again, you can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud at si.com slash podcasts. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Burke at Chris Burke underscore SI for Eric Single at Eric underscore Single. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the draft.